All right, friends, welcome back to the show today. It is my honor to be joined all the way from New York City by Caitlin Beatty. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm enjoying the autumnal weather that we have going in New York right now. Outstanding. Well, you're just rubbing it in that it's not 95 degrees <laughs> like it is here in Texas. So I'm I, happy I can't, for you. Yeah, thanks. I, I can't wrap my mind around that, but I trust that there are a lot of other wonderful things in Texas besides the heat. And it sounds like you're like used to it, you know, like it's yeah, not, no, it's no, we're, we're fine. It's no big deal. You're like, resilient. Texans are resilient. Yeah. yeah. We get through, we can get through the heat. It's no big deal at all. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you wrote a book about celebrities. Are you at the weird point? Like your book came out where you're like, I just need more celebrity gossip. Like I need more stories about <laughs> celebrities and, and drama. Cause it like perpetuates the interest mm-hmm. in the subject matter of your book. Yeah. Well, we have been, in a time with no shortage of very strange news about Kanye West, uh, who I write about in the book as being someone who a lot of Christians latched onto with his album, Jesus is King. He has said and done things since then that have been at best strange. Um, (laughs) That's generous. I mean, the sad thing is that when we're talking about celebrity inside the church, I do kind of tend to think that this book will continue to speak because I don't think that we have solved the problem of celebrity in the church. And as a cynical journalist, I tend to think, yeah, there's probably going to be other news that comes out in the coming weeks or months. That's like, yes, this is a problem that we need to deal with, but no, I, I don't, I, I'm not like tickled by the news of a celebrity pastor (laughs) falling from grace. You know, I'm not wishing for that. But realistically, (laughs) we're probably not at the end of the celebrity pastor news cycle. Yeah, no, I I think this subject matter is going to be evergreen for quite some time because there is almost an endless supply of celebrity pastor, celebrity issues. And uh, I think you referenced the Kanye story about how he was talking about God's divine uh, blessing for his tax return being... $60 $60 million for a year. And people are going, yeah, that's, this is, this is a guy who understands the blessings of God. That's exactly what the Beatitudes are talking about. When, when Jesus describes <laughs> what a blessing is, it's a 60, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, Kanye is there. What, okay. So the book has been out for a, a while now, right? Yeah. A couple months. Yeah. Okay. So you've been doing interviews and talking about the book for a few mm-hmm. months now. Um, mm-hmm. Which celebrity story do you find yourself being asked the most questions about? Inside or outside the church? Uh, let's do both. Let's go both. Okay. Start with inside the church, though. Uh, yeah, I get asked the most about, unfortunately, Ravi Zacharias, because it's like one of the worst stories. Mm. And it's one yeah, of the that's... most, it's one of the stories that when I worked at Christianity Today magazine, we were getting tips and allegations about years before the story came out. So we all kind of knew that this story was developing like years before we were able to report on it. And yeah, it's hor- it's it's a horrible story. And I think, you know, people want to talk about it because they they are thinking, oh, my gosh, how do we avoid having this kind of leader in our midst, uh, putting somebody on a pedestal like this, given how much can go wrong and how many people can be hurt with this kind of, you know, toxic celebrity power? Um Outside the church, on a lighter note, um, is John Mulaney, who is a very funny comedian who mm-hmm. who has three Netflix specials, 
He's one of my favorites. I'm not really yeah. into fan girl culture. Like that's never been particularly mm-hmm. true of me, but he is an exception to the rule. Um, and apparently for a lot of people, maybe especially straight women, he has, <laughs> we have attached to him in unhealthy ways. He's had a okay. lot going on in his personal life in the last couple years and the level of like personal reaction that people have to these tabloid headlines is uh-huh. kind of bonkers. And so I can write about like toxic celebrity attachment in my book. And then when I read one of these news stories, I'm like, oh, it's in me too. I'm part of it too. Cause I can't stop yeah. like, you know, going down like an Instagram rabbit hole about him. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of John Mulaney. I don't have the, uh, same attachment as you described that subgroup, which I am not a part of, uh, has to him. But I do think he's a very talented comedian. Uh, but whatever happens in his life, I don't feel as uh, he's had some struggles with addiction and mm-hmm. uh, you know other stuff that I, I don't know the whole story. It sounds like you probably know more about it than me. But the Robbie Zacharias story, mm-hmm. uh, that one, I, I know you write about in the book that uh, you guys have been doing some. Uh, what was the story? You're doing a story about someone who worked with him and you asked them about mm-hmm. his character. Wasn't that the story, right? Yeah. And I, I don't know. It just, I, I never really was a, uh, really connected to his work on a substantial level at all. Mm-hmm. And for me on the outside going, the guy owns massage parlors. I feel like that should have been mm. a red flag that we're all like, that doesn't seem like a, the, the type of <laughs> business venture uh, an apologist should be doing. But you mentioned the book, like Paula Ferris, who I remember uh, she's been on the podcast and I feel like uh, I started following her work after she was on the podcast and her book came out and mm. she posted something about Ravi Zachariah on her Instagram. And I was like, wait, don't, don't we all know that we don't like talk about him anymore? Because there's so many stories that I just was in my church not too long ago and someone referenced uh, they're doing something with uh, Jean Vier, his Jean Jean Vanier. Yeah, I always say his name wrong. Whatever. Um, I'm not very good with my French or Canadian. And (laughs) like, wasn't he like convicted of uh, sexual Mm -hmm. abuse? Like, anyway, whatever. But there's always like a story that's coming out that somehow someone doesn't know about or it's behind the scenes. And it's almost like we're just so inundated with these that it just. Mm. Not even a surprise for most of us anymore that, yeah, mm-hmm. there's scandal after scandal. Yeah. I mean, it can be hard to keep track of who we don't talk about anymore <laughs> or yeah. it can be hard too to kind of discern, well, if somebody has been exposed to be predatory or to abuse their power in some way. No, we're not going to put them on a platform anymore. We're not probably not going to invite them to come speak at our church, but can we still find their writing to be helpful or, you know, how, how do we continue on um, without ignoring these stories that are emerging? And I don't have a really like black and white answer to that, except to say Mm -hmm. that I do think there needs to be consequences. And I do think we're just in a time when we realize that putting your ultimate faith and allegiance in any kind of Christian leader is setting yourself up for disappointment. Um, even if it's not this big scandal like Ravi or Jean Vanier, you know, leaders, celebrity figures or people, they're going to do and say something in the public spotlight that's going to be discouraging, disappointing, that is not what we would say. We think about like, yeah. <laughs> you know, Kanye West, again, I'm sure he loves that we're continuing to talk about him. 
um, <laughs> you know, by put by kind of claiming him as like, isn't it so great that we have this person in the music industry with a huge following talking about how much they love Jesus and Jesus is king? Well, he's also saying a lot of other stuff that I don't think most Christians would want to yeah. associate with. So just checking our allegiances to make sure that we're not putting anybody on a pedestal and, and giving them a kind of pass, like a, a moral or spiritual pass, uh, because we're, we're going to be disappointed at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there's, uh, categorically different, uh, groups where you have like a Kanye who says crazy stuff. And then you have two people before that, which do, uh, criminal behavior that like, mm-hmm. whether you're a Christian or not goes, Hey, this, you, you need to go to jail for what you've done. And mm-hmm. I, I think that the love of, uh, here's, here's a quote from your book. I think you said so well, yeah, here's a line. Instead of critiquing celebrity culture and the prevailing power of individuals over institutions in our time, we've simply adopted it, hoping to find a celebrity icon in our likeness. And that's mm-hmm. the, the Kanye thing you're, you're talking about. Like, he's, oh, he's one of us. He's, he's finally, it's, uh, oh, Justin Bieber's a Christian. Oh, it's, you know, fill in the blank. Um, we've done this for a long time instead of, like, converting and asking a different conversation. Mm-hmm. And so in the book, you talk about growing up uh, in Christian culture where you were told, hey, if you like this mainstream celebrity here is kind of like the (laughs) Christian B team, like the JV Christian version of this who doesn't (laughs) use curse words or something. Yeah. There, there was literally a chart. There was literally a chart involved. (gasps) Oh, I saw that. I've seen that. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. This is like a classic, like nineties youth group trope. It was at a youth rally called acquire the fire. And Mm -hmm. I just remember so vividly a talk about the evils of Hollywood and, Bands like Blink-182 and, you know, Britney Spears is probably has a demon. And so, but if you like their music, if you like the sound of their music, here is the safe Christian version. And just part of that milieu and mindset was you can be a young Christian and also be cool and like good music. And here are these celebrity figures who have a big platform, have this following and they are heroes for you or they are, they are like modeling what you kind of want to be like growing up. I yeah. of course was exposed to purity culture. Rebecca St. James was a singer who be, kind of became a poster child for purity stuff. And the thought going through my head was like, we are, you know, at least for the young women in that time, we should be like, Rebecca St. James, we should kind of aspire to be like her when we grow up. And so this celebrity fixation and a sense that we understand ourselves and we, we shore up our own identity through these individual figures that we attach to much more so than like the local church or institutions. It's just woven into the evangelical psyche. And I am, I am a product of that. Um, which is why I write about it so personally, because I feel like these are my people. And I think we're, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're doing some really weird things in this realm. Yeah. It seems like we can't ever get rid of like our connection to celebrities, to influential people on maybe not even like a destructive sense, but there are people whose work makes the world a better place. 
people mm-hmm. whose work connects to us, people whose work mm. like really is formative for my ability to navigate the world as someone who's trying to live this as a follower of Jesus. And so mm-hmm. we really gravitate in a positive way to them. But where do you think that switches to being something that's destructive and toxic? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I think some of it comes down to can we imagine, let's say, our our church we're attached to our leader or pastor, like we really admire them and they've had, you know, a very good effect in our lives through their preaching or leadership or whatever. Um, But can we imagine our church and our life together without that person? Or is there a sense that actually what we are doing together centers on this person continuing to be in a position of power and our sense of what God is doing and what that leader is doing are so enmeshed that's mm-hmm. a red flag to me to kind of think that anybody is indispensable to God's purposes in mm-hmm. the world. Um, I tend to think if you are more interested in the celebrity figure or, you know, the beloved famous person than you know, the people you're sitting next to in the pews or at your workplace or whatever kind of community you, you find yourself in like if mm-hmm. if in your imagination and attention and affection you're more fixated on this person out there than the people kind of right in front of you who are not shiny who may actually mm-hmm. be really annoying or <laughs> require something of you um i tend to think that that can be toxic obviously it's toxic when because someone is beloved or because they've had a positive effect in your life you refuse to believe or grapple with, you know, hard news about them. I think in a lot of these cases, it's like, because I have had a positive experience with so-and-so, these other things can't be true. And just having Mm -hmm. a a vision of any leader, any person as, you know, we are all mixed bags. (laughs) Like we are all capable of really wonderful things and really terrible things. And just because you've had a positive experience with somebody doesn't mean that this other person hasn't had a really horrible experience with them. So I think when your attachment and affection then tips over into, I'm making excuses for them. I'm offering blatant statements to provide cover for them. I'm refusing to listen to others who have a different experience of this person. I think that's, that's all kind of toxic tendencies. Mm hmm. And and that happens whether it's like the like we follow someone online or we we watch their stuff or it's just like a you know pastor at the church where you're a part of and you go well you know this person I really like them a lot and so we're going to make excuse after excuse after excuse for like really destructive behavior which you know we've seen enough stories um, especially the probably most notable by your friends at Christianity Today the Mars Hill podcast where you have mm-hmm. people who continually make excuses for what Mark did even to this day to go like that's not a big deal or you mm-hmm. obviously you reference the Willow Creek stuff and mm-hmm. stuff at Willow with you know with Bill obviously there's a lot of people who are complicit with one degree or another of um, you know influence and in what could t- take place so like w- we want to do that why do you think we want to make excuses for those people like, mm. I, cause I do, like, I'm, I'm saying that myself. Like I think of, mm. we mentioned, uh, uh, you mentioned Carl Lentz in the book and, you know, I've had him on the podcast, I face to face conversation when I was, uh, in New York a couple years ago. And here's the thing. I like him. Like he was a nice mm-hmm. guy. I enjoy my time mm-hmm. with him. And so I naturally am wired to go, oh, man, I, I, 
I, I'm not saying it's not true what happened, but like I, I, I'm mm. rooting for him. I want this to not be true for what obviously mm-hmm. has taken place. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I, I just want to affirm the notion that you like Carl Lentz or that anybody <clears throat> who has had the time and opportunity to get to know some of the leaders that we're thinking about like them as people or care about them as people want the best for them. I think that's a diff it's a slightly different calculus from, okay, when troubling allegations come to light, what is our posture toward this person? And this is not me saying, and therefore you flip a switch and all of a sudden you think they're terrible and you want nothing to do with them or you don't care about them. If you actually have a relationship with this person, but mm-hmm. ca- caring for someone in that kind of position who has whatever language, you know, face moral failing, abuse their power. Obviously, if we're talking about criminal, illegal activity, liking them and caring about them is not the same as looking the other way when they mess up. And it's mm-hmm. certainly not. Let's try to make sure that you can find a quick way back to the spotlight. In fact, that is yeah, not loving. <laughs> like it's actually, yeah. it's actually not loving to, because you like someone, because you have affection for them, try to rush the process of getting healthy or um, repairing relationships, making amends for people who you have hurt, um, going through the process of getting in touch with your own demons and pain and childhood wounds. Like, all of that work takes time and is absolutely essential after some kind of failure of the kind we're talking about. And so to kind of pivot toward, because I want to be a person of forgiveness and grace and care, therefore let's try to get them back. I just don't think it's, it's a one, one kind of situation. And in fact, I think in some sense it could be counter to what you actually mean to do in your care for this person. Yeah. Uh, and I don't I'm not talking about Carl specifically and I'm not pretending like, you and I are like friends or anything like that. Um, but what I would say is there's like, I, I say you like someone you want what's best for them. And sometimes the very thing that creates the dysfunction in their life is what you want them to continue to be in your life. And so I want you mm. to be this Christian celebrity for me, but the celebrity status that they choose to participate in and we choose to enable for them is Mm -hmm. the very reason why they continue to make the decisions that they're doing and get in the spot where they are. And so I I think your point about just because you have affection and and want the best for someone, your best for them actually might be the very thing that is perpetuating the problem in their own life. Yeah, that's really well said. And I would say, you know, examining like, what is this affection about? Am I looking to this person, like to this leader or figure in our community for something that only God can provide or other people can provide, or I need to find within myself. I think sometimes we put spiritual leaders on pedestals because we're actually insecure about our own relationship with God or ability to access God. So we're looking for some kind of conduit or someone who seems closer to God than we feel a lot of the time. And so we continue to put them on the pedestal uh, to meet, our own need, you know, to meet our own ego need or spiritual needs. And at some point that could actually be really unloving to ask people to kind of fill a need in our community that is actually 
accessible and available to all of us. And so some of this is like, let's grow up, like let's mature, let's stop looking to strong men to make us feel confident and secure in our faith. Yeah. Here's a line that I never thought I would say uh, five years ago. Uh, Justin Bieber made a great observation about the Carl Lentz situation where Mm -hmm. he talked about how many of us, you have this, the the line in the book where uh, his point was that like a lot of us think that he's the guy with the strong relationship with God and I would be near him so I can have that strong relationship with God. But Mm -hmm. Bieber makes the good observation that we all have that same access to God. And yet we think it's like the person who has it, that if we're near them, it Mm -hmm. rubs off. Now, like, I'll be honest, like hanging out with Richard Rohr, like I do feel like he has special access to God. So I feel like that's the exception (laughs) or Barbara Brown Taylor. Like if you've ever had a conversation where you're like, yeah, this person has special access, but besides those two or three exceptions, it's not real. (laughs) Yes. We, we all have those exceptions in our mind. You know, for me, it's, uh, Fleming Rutledge, you know, like she's a Mm, theologian, one of the first women ordained in the Episcopal church. She's an incredible preacher. Yeah. When I'm with her, I'm like, she's glowing with the Holy spirit. (laughs) Like she has something that I don't have. And I undeniably, and I'm sure this is for you when you think about Roar or Taylor, like their work, their writing, their, their teaching has, ministered to you like it has connected you mm-hmm. with god it has helped you it has enriched your life but i i want to believe that if any of our heroes were exposed to be guilty of wrongdoing you know, illegal or not we would have to say oh yeah this is a really good reminder not to put people on pedestals and not to overly identify your own spiritual journey with that of one person's leadership. And Oh, right. Like they are a limited finite human of flesh and bone. I'm going to say that again because I said blown. Um, you know, they are, they are, (laughs) they are a, a finite limited human, just like you and me who trembles before God. Um, and it just remembering that, you know, despite all the good things that they do in the world, I mean, ultimately coming back to the sense that any good that we do in the world is, is, is grace, you know, it's, it's all grace. Yeah. One of the quotes you also included um, about the stuff that happened at Willow was uh, a longtime Willow person who made the uh, like the statement or the question about, you know, Bill and his transgressions. And and the person was expressing, like, how could someone who did so much good also Mm -hmm. do this? Mm -hmm. It seems like we've lost the understanding that, like, sin is a real thing that affects every one of us. And maybe like when we put someone on a pedestal, we think that the pedestal creates distance away from sin or something like that. If you're mm. on the stage, you're on the, the platform, if you've, you know, built a massive mega church, then therefore you're distant from being tempted to take a bite of something that you are not supposed to be eating from. Right. Like, do you think that's mm. what it is? Yeah. I, I think at least in the Christian world, it's like, if this person has a platform, if they're leading, if they're shepherding, whatever, um, they're clearly there because God put them there. So, and God must Mm -hmm. have put them there because God has special 
purposes for that person or has blessed their life in a special way. Mm-hmm. Um, when in fact, actually, it's I think it's maybe the opposite, which is that the pedestal introduces temptations that would not be there otherwise. You know, like the pedestal yeah. is actually the thing that over time can lead any of us to think, I can get away with things that other people can't. I'm an important enough person that I can kind of have my way with other people. I can spend my money how I want. I can, you know, accrue wealth for myself. Like all the things that come with this celebrity power, the pedestal, if left unchecked and unexamined, actually gets you to think over time, I can do things that other people can't because I'm just that important. Yeah, you hear a lot of that entitlement language coming out. Mm-hmm. Like there's enough times where people are like, you're expressing a sense of entitlement that you, like you deserve to be able to do this. You deserve to be able to take a shortcut here because elsewhere you're doing so much and you're helping so many people. Yeah, that, that definitely seems to be the mm-hmm. case. And like enough of these stories come out. Now people almost assume the allegation to be true. Like it's almost like we heard enough of mm. these over the years and you, you heard one after the other and it starts to become normal. Like you're just waiting for this to happen. I, you know, 20 years ago, I was going through grad school and I was doing personal training uh, for this um, gentleman who was an interior decorator who knew some stuff about church, but lived a uh, in a different environment than most religious people were living in 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, Luke, you're just in a fair waiting to happen. You're just in a, a scandal waiting to happen. And I'm like, thank you. 20 so years he was, in, we're all He was good. hitting on you? I, I think there was probably some aspirational hopes in that comment, but uh, that doesn't <laughs> d- dismiss his assumption that like, if you're a pastor, like this is going to mm-hmm. happen. And so, you know, recently the stuff with uh, Chandler, Matt Chandler in Dallas mm-hmm. at the village, mm-hmm. It's like the story came out and it seemed like there was two narratives. One is like, you know, we love Chandler. He's a good dude. This didn't happen. Or the other was, you Mm -hmm. know what? If they're saying this, that means there's 10 more things underneath the surface. They're being dishonest and, you know, the Mm -hmm. the rest is going to come out and the other shoe is going to drop. And, you know, my Mm -hmm. theory was it's almost like uh, a Rorschach test where you Mm -hmm. see in this whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And why do you think we've gotten to the point and maybe we've we've earned and I'm saying this as a white male pastor. Have we gotten to the point where we just have caused people to assume the worst in whatever we do? Mm. <laughs> um, so going back a little bit, I think you're absolutely right that most news involving well-known pastors, church leaders, you're probably going to fall in one of two camps. It's very polarized. I think of that less as a function of celebrity dynamics in the church and more about our news media ecosystem and the fact that we all bring such strong interpretive lenses to what we're reading and (laughs) tend to trust our hunches more than the verified facts that are presented to us by credible news sources that have done their work to corroborate claims. And I think in the case of Matt Chandler, the story was so vague that, of course, in the absence of kind of verifiable details or facts, yep. people filled in the absences with all sorts of assumptions one way or the other. And I did the same thing because, you know, we're all trying to process these stories and we don't have enough information and we want to try to make things make sense. So we apply our own narrative to whatever we're reading mm-hmm. about. And I think in that case, it, it's probably the case that, like, 
we obviously just don't know what was going on. We just don't yeah. have enough yeah. information. Um, you asked, have we created a culture where people assume the worst about kind of celebrity leaders or pastors per se? Yeah. Yes. I think that, <laughs> and you can hear that this is just my gut reaction to your question. Obviously, many churches in the United States are facing a credibility crisis, um, in part because of these stories, but also all sorts of other reasons. I mean, distrust in institutions as such are at an all-time high. Um, we are less likely to place our trust in kind of spiritual leaders or people with spiritual authority than we are kind of spiritual gurus um, on social media. Obviously, there are big conversations happening around race and class and power and gender where we're examining some of the power structures that are implicit within the American church. I tend to think that these headlines um, exacerbate kind of previously existing distrust. I don't know that they're enough to say, to flip a switch, to say, I was totally in on Jesus and the church, and now I'm not because this pastor messed up. I would hope that most people can kind of recognize that there's a difference between like a religion's theological claims and spiritual truths and like the people, the fallen people, flawed people who are trying to yeah. live it out. Like we're always working within flawed human systems. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder if there's also a sense where people feel like these leaders have like gotten away with stuff for so long that now we need mm, to have this yeah. reckoning. Like yeah. maybe some people are gleeful or kind of expecting the other shoe to drop because they assume, well, this is a balancing of what has gone on for too long. So if the truth is going to come out, let it come out and like have it all burned down because it's been way too yeah. long that these leaders have been able to get away with whatever. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good observation. There definitely is cynicism that we, and I'm saying this is as again, white male pastor, uh, like that we've we, we, like, we've kind of created it and like, it's, it's there. Um, and there's a suspicion of it. I, I was literally just at my gym and, uh, talking to a guy and he said where he's from outside of Dallas. And I said, Oh yeah. I, you know, my wife's college roommate, you know, grew up at this church there. And he's like, that's not even a church. It's like a 10,000 member, like Baptist like they dropped the name Baptist, but let's be honest, they're still a Baptist church. And he goes, that's not even a church. It's just like a country club for rich people. And I'm like, eh, mm. but, but, you know, that's, that's fair. And so there's mm. like a, a, like a cynicism there. And mm -hmm. it's not just like in this guy who's probably not much of a church guy anyway, but mm -hmm. like even a church guy like myself, when the, um, the Mars Hill podcast was going on, mm -hmm. like there was a very dark part of me that is not such a fan of Mark Driscoll. And I did mm -hmm. not have the affection that I have for say like a Chandler or a Carl Lentz, like these public figures that, you know, I have brief interactions with or know them to some degree. And I want the best for them. But with Driscoll is like, mm, dude mm -hmm. deserves all this stuff. And so I'm listening mm -hmm. like a hate, like a hate listen going, I'm very happy to hear mm -hmm. this. And I really had to deal with like some of the, the junk and the sin in my heart that was making me read it that way. Cause like there's part of you that goes, I kind of like seeing a bad guy get what he deserves. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Well, there's a way in which that can be very unhealthy if you want, if your approach is punitive. Like, I just want to see this guy burn. To be fair, now I am. I'm but speaking. with Driscoll, isn't that like we're allowed to do that? Just don't we get an exception for him? <laughs> I'm joking. No, no, kind we of. don't. We don't. We do not get to wish a kind of punitive burn him at the stake kind of response to anybody. I mean, I truly when believe Jesus that. said love your enemies. When Jesus said I, love I your enemies, I don't think he didn't <laughs> he, have this in mind. Like, I think Jesus would be like, okay, I get it here. I get it. <laughs> yeah, you know? he was like, okay. asterisk, okay, I know this thing is going to happen at this big church in Seattle. <laughs> and in that case, it's fine. No, obviously, yeah. we are not to delight yeah. in someone else's downfall or public humiliation. True. I do think that, you know, some of that story is just owing to the fact that Mark Driscoll is still pastoring a church. And from what we understand, a lot of the dynamics that were at Mars Hill have been transplanted into this new church. And then you think, you know, are people hurting in the way that they were hurt at Mars Hill? And I think if there's a response that says, I don't want this person to hurt other people anymore. You know, when we think about the legal system and certain illegal behaviors will remove you from participating in society. Um, You know, that is in part to say, we don't want you to be able to hurt people in the way that you have in the past. So we need to like Mm -hmm. take you out of the system so that you are prevented from hurting other people. And I think, yeah, I have to check that in myself. Like, am I, Am I listening to this story? Of course, I of course I, I also listen to the Mark Driscoll. Nope, let me say that again. I also listen to the Mars Hill podcast like furiously last summer. Like you know, every day mm-hmm. that a new episode would drop, I'm like yes, I'm gonna you know go on my walk and listen to it, and um, you know wag my finger yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> as I'm listening <laughs> to it, and I'm sure that looked very strange to people on the street. Um, but yeah, asking like, okay, is there kind of a gross? thing that is coming out in me listening to this where I'm like, I want to see this guy be taken down because I'm mad at him because he teaches really awful things about gender or am I invested in, we need to wrestle and grapple with the story so that all of us don't foster similar patterns in our own spiritual communities. And I Mm hope, I hope that it was more the latter. And I did write this book while I was listening to that. So hopefully this book is more constructive than that original yeah. impulse to, you know, to burn it all down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't write a book about this, so I can still enjoy the burn it all down <laughs> part just for a modicum of time before my soul is completely destroyed by the evil that is within me. Um, the, the power of these celebrities that we, we run to is it gives a sense of legitimacy for what we're doing. Like, I'll be honest, there are Mm. times as a dad where I'm like, oh, I like that my kid will listen to music by someone like I'm very pro Justin Bieber. And, Mm. you know, I've uh, you know, I remember when he first went to uh, the Hillsong guys call conference down in Mm -hmm. Sydney 
and mm-hmm. hearing a buddy who was a Hillsong uh, guy and talk about like Justin behind the scenes and what it was looking like and what his mm-hmm. experience was as this guy was, you know, on, on staff at Hillsong. And I was going, man, I, I'm very sympathetic for what he goes through. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the fact that you have a guy who's been through a lot and mm-hmm. still tries to be, you know, a positive voice, uh, you know, a light in the world. Like, I really find that compelling. And I like that, mm-hmm. you know, it's on the radio. My daughters are here and I go, yeah, this guy's talking about his faith here and this is what it means to him. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's reassuring to go, someone else is rooting for the same things I'm rooting for. And it helps. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, It's nice to have outside credibility. Like with kids, like you see that, like with, but eventually like you feel like we should grow out of that. But it seems like mm-hmm. we don't always like grow out of that. And we still lean for these strong men. And I'm sure there's strong women as well, but mm-hmm. I feel like you use the language of strong men. And so it's not sexist for me to continue using your language. Um, but we lean on <laughs> them because people. it gives... Strong persons. Strong um, persons. That it, yes. gives le- it, it gives it le- gives legitimacy to the own sense of inferiority we have. Mm. How do you think that, like the work of God in our life, can realign that insecurity that always seems to go towards like celebrities to be moved to something that's more substantive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I am thinking about the people in my life who I look to as models or heroes. And I say this also appreciating Justin Bieber. I mean, truthfully, he came out of the situation with Hillsong and Carl Lentz looking in some ways like the more mature person, like his comment about we all have the same access to God. It's like, that's really true. And that's really helpful for him to articulate. Um, But I think at the end of my life, I'm going to look back and not really think about the celebrity figures who I admired. You know, I'm going to think about the people in my life who showed me a vision of kind of ordinary faithfulness, who showed up for me in real and tangible ways. I mean, celebrities can inspire, they can entertain, but I don't know that they can actually minister to you in a deep way that is contextualized within the story of your life. Like the people who can do that are people who have known you over the span of a lifetime, over the course of many years, who are not really interested in the personal brand or public persona that you're putting out into the world who are interested in you as you. And so that realignment, I think, comes back to reprioritizing those kinds of relationships, um, you know, being, uh, proximate to other people in your life, whether that's in your family, your church, your workplace, but, you know, kind of reinvesting and re reorienting yourself, um, in your affections toward the people right in front of you. Yeah. Part of the definition I believe you use for celebrity is social power without proximity. Mm-hmm. And it it kind of echoes what I think Andy Crouch probably wrote about. Maybe it was TechWise Family, where it talks about like we've replaced real life relationships with actual people with like celebrity, glossy images that we see online, and mm-hmm. we we chase the wrong one. I think your point about like moving towards the value of proximity is really cathartic and life giving for many of us to go like the actual people in our life are the ones that matter the most instead of the ones that we're you know chasing after for for whatever mm-hmm. reason whatever role we're asking them to play in our life. Yeah. And I think part of that is because when we think about like our family or closest friends, they, we are not, 
looking to them to give us something that will advance our own hopes and aspirations. Like there is a kind of bond that is non-transactional. That is, Mm -hmm. we are showing up for each other at our best and our worst. You have seen me at my best and my worst and Mm -hmm. we're not going anywhere. And I'm not in this to get something from you or like this lasts in so far as we both get something out of it. And then we depart. It's, bonds like it is a kind of it there there are bonds that ideally like if we're if we're blessed we'll be there for life um and i think those are the kinds of bonds that we we need in order to flourish yeah 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 those are the ones that really matter like those are the people that are going to show up for you when when things really require you to have the support of people and that should be the mm-hmm. relationships we invest in uh, after having now spent uh, roughly 40 minutes with you, I feel like I have the proximity to tell you something that I feel like I noticed in your book that might be an area for you to bring to the Lord in prayer. <laughs> it seems that you have a disdain for man bags. And for man, I don't know oh, if... Oh, for man purses? For, for man bags. Man, man purses, whatever you want to call them. I feel like that <laughs> might be a growth area for you. I feel like you have something to deal with and maybe you can work through that. Because you wrote about it a couple of times. It's like, there's yeah. something here. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mentioned the luxury man bag that mm-hmm. was carried by a prominent celebrity pastor. I think my, my issue was not so much a man carrying a bag or a purse, even it was the cost of that particular okay. purse. Okay. But I see that it was a poor attempt at humor. So I will, <laughs> I will examine that. Well, <laughs> well this was uh, one in the same then if, uh, if it came across that way, no, um, the book was good, very helpful. It's a timely subject matter. And uh, so as one person who used to live in Ohio to another person who's from Ohio, well mm-hmm. done. I didn't have any celebrities where I grew up, and so it's nice to hear about them. And now that you live in New York, it's good for you to have a well-thought-out theory on how to engage <laughs> with all the celebrities around you. I don't run into many. Occasionally I do, and I need to stop myself from saying something. But, yeah, thank you for thank you for reading the book. Thank you for this lively conversation about it i hope it's helpful to your to your listeners yeah all the best all right thanks again okay thanks 